Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. Plan on joining us for the holidays this year and spend Passover, Pentecost, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, or Sukkot with your brothers and sisters in Hudson, Wisconsin. On the first day of Sukkot 5780, I was in the Sukkah of Yisrael and Tehillah Amik, and we were discussing some of the universal implications of the festival. We noted that Sukkot begins with Abraham, the first of the Ushpazin, the father not only of the circumcised, that is, the Jewish people, but also the uncircumcised, that is, the people from the nations, the people from the nations who believe, so that he is the father of all those who believe. We were talking about the universal obligation to believe in God. Shalom ben Elisheva suggested that it might be appropriate, since there are seven days of Sukkot, to discuss the seven Noahide commandments, one for each day of Sukkot, since Sukkot is called the festival of all nations. I like that idea. But why is it called the festival of all nations? It's called the Festival of All Nations because over the course of the festival, the priesthood offered 70 bulls as burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord. The 70 bulls symbolized the 70 nations, and they were regarded as Israel's intercession for all of humanity. The sages said that if the nations had understood the benefit they received from the sacrifice of those 70 bulls, instead of joining with Rome to surround Jerusalem and burn the temple— they would have brought their legions to Jerusalem and surrounded the city to protect the temple. The 70 bulls correspond to the 70 nations, which is a rabbinic way of saying all humanity. The Gentiles. The word Gentiles is actually not a biblical word. Gentile means non-Jew, but that's not really the sense of the word in the Bible. The Hebrew word goyim does not mean Gentiles. It means nations. The festival of Sukkot is, of course, first and foremost a Jewish festival. Like all the other festivals among the Lord's appointed times, God gave it to Israel. The Jewish people are charged with proclaiming and observing the Lord's holy days. But this festival, which corresponds to the Shabbat, also has a universal aspect to it. Sukkot is to the other festivals what Shabbat is to the other days of the week. It comes as a culmination in that everything else has been leading up to it. Just as Shabbat is both specific to the Jewish people, but also has a universal significance for all creation, likewise, Sukkot is specific to the Jewish people, but also the festival of all nations. We derive the universal scope of Sukkot from the Haftarah reading for the first day of Sukkot, which describes how in the Messianic era the nations will be required to send emissaries to Jerusalem to attend the festival, otherwise suffer the consequences of drought on their land. Since Sukkot is the season at which the prayers for rain are offered in conjunction with the water-pouring ceremony in the temple, the prophet says, And if any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. But if they do go up to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, they will fulfill what it says in the promises to Abraham, All the families of the earth will bless themselves. In your seed. Sukkot then is a celebration of the culmination of this promise that was initiated with Abraham 
a promise of universal scope when all humanity will worship the God of Israel and they will say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and the Torah will go forth from Zion and so forth. A second reason that it's called the festival of all nations also can be derived from Zechariah 14, which, before describing the international Sukkot pilgrimages, describes all nations conspiring to make war on Jerusalem. The Talmud discusses the motives behind the war. According to the Talmud's view of the future, when the nations see the reward that Israel receives for keeping the Torah, they will say, If you had given us the Torah we would have observed the commandments too. Give us a chance. Then Hashem will say, Here is an easy mitzvah. It's called sukkah. But some among the nations will rebel under the heat of the sun, kick down their sukkot. Then, as it says in Psalm 2, the kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Psalm 2. And this is the Talmud's description of how the War of Gog and Magog begins. And that's a second reason it's called the Festival of All Nations. So in summary, Sukkot is called the Festival of All Nations because during the Messianic era, the nations are required to observe Sukkot. They must make pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Sukkot. On the other hand, Sukkot is called the Festival of All Nations because it is associated with the War of Gog and Magog when all nations go up to make war against Jerusalem. On the first day of Sukkot, I taught you about the concept of the Sukkah of Leviathan and the connection between Leviathan and the Battle of Gog and Magog. In today's Haftarah, we heard about the future calamitous apocalyptic end times eschatological Battle of Armageddon also called the War of Gog and Magog. In that day, the nations will come up against Jerusalem, against the Jewish people, and against God himself. The Evan Zohar, Rabbi Yechiel Tzvi Lichtenstein, points out that the gematria for Gog Umagog is 70. Corresponding to the 70 nations, as it says in the book of Revelation, the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. Revelation 20, verse 8. The book of Revelation describes Leviathan as the beast out of the sea. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. Revelation 13, 1. The book of Job concludes its discourse on Leviathan with the words, He looks on everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. The king over all the sons of pride is Antichrist, the lawless one. In Jewish legend, he is called Armulus, a cipher for Romulus, the founder of Rome. He gathers all the nations together. Agata says that in the city of Rome, Armulus is born from a certain statue. He says, I am your Messiah. I am your God. He leads the nations to war against Jerusalem and against Hashem. He is Gog. He is Leviathan. He is the king over all the sons of pride. False Messiah. Antichrist. As disciples of Yeshua, we live in the shadow of Apocalypse. We have enormous hope for the future. 
Our entire faith is predicated on an unquenchable optimism about the future of humanity and the future of planet Earth. At the same time, we also anticipate a coming time of calamity and tribulation, a day of travail, the birth pangs of Mashiach, a difficult transition from this age to the next age, and ultimately from this world to the world to come. The Master says, unless a seed dies in the ground, it does not sprout with new life. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Our master's disciples asked him, what will be the sign of your coming? He said, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, know that her hour has come, flee to the hills. As it says in Zechariah, for the first day of the festival of Sukkot, I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. In that hour, Leviathan rises. That same passage in Zechariah describes the coming of the Messiah, the defeat of the armies of Gog and Magog, after which the survivors from the nations make pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the festival of Sukkot. So on the one hand, the Sukkot prophecies predict a future time when all nations will assemble to go up to Jerusalem to make war against it. On the other hand, the Sukkot prophecies predict a future time when all nations will go up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. So what has happened here? What changed? A moment ago, everyone made war against Israel. All nations were coming up against Jerusalem to destroy it. They marched under the command of the spiritual force of Leviathan that rises to fight against Hashem. Then, all of a sudden, everyone wants to come to Jerusalem to learn Torah and celebrate the festival and worship the Lord. Many are coming from the east and the west to recline at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to recline in the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob inside the giant sukkah created out of the skin of Leviathan. What was the thing that happened to make the difference? It was Messiah. In the prophecy, the Messiah arrives. When the Messiah arrives, he subdues the nations beneath him. That's the vision of the future. The kingdom of heaven is a universal kingdom. The prophet Isaiah says that when Messiah comes, in that day the root of Jesse who shall stand as signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. These prophecies indicate that one of the main jobs of the Messiah is to convert the nations. Just for a moment, Forget about the eschatological end times future and let's talk about the past and present. Is there any other world leader, king, prophet, priest, or would-be Messiah who has accomplished this task as our master Yeshua? Consider Yeshua who came preaching a message of repentance only to Jewish people. He did not go in the way of the Gentiles or enter their cities. He went only to the lost sheep of Israel. He did not take the bread meant for the children and toss it to the Gentiles. He did not enter the home of the centurion. He never addressed a Gentile audience so far as we know. He rarely even spoke with non-Jews. He did not write a single sermon or treatise addressed to non-Jewish people. But after his suffering, he said to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. The apostles went out and changed the world. Idolatry toppled before them. The nations have been brought to the worship of the God of Israel to the extent that there is no nation on earth where the name of the Lord is not honored and worshipped. I'm not saying that we have already arrived at the Messianic era, but I am saying that from the sober perspective of history, it should be obvious who the agent of the Messianic era is. Who else in human history has accomplished this? It's the Messiah's job to bring the nations to the light of the revelation of the God of Israel and to transform the host of Gog and Magog into a host of pilgrims going up to celebrate the festival of Sukkot. That's the Messiah's job. Yeshua does this. He alone accomplishes this. It's one more reason for the confidence of our faith. One more reason we know he is the Messiah. We know he is the Messiah because he defeats Leviathan, not just in the future, but he has been doing so since the first century. He is the Messiah because he is the one who transforms the host of Gog and Magog, the 70 nations, and brings them into the kingdom. The Bible is translated into every major human language and also into most remote dialects only because of him. The name of the God of Israel has become universally known only because of Yeshua. This is what we expect from the Messiah. That's what the Messiah is supposed to accomplish. I'm not saying the job is finished yet. Yeshua is the one who will crush the heads of the Leviathan and spread out the skin of Leviathan on the walls of Jerusalem. From Yeshua's mouth, in the breath of his lips, shall go forth the word of the Lord like a sword to strike his enemies. But let's not forget what he has already accomplished. Moreover, if the Messiah has the power to effect such an amazing change, why shouldn't he unleash that power for us today? Why should we have to wait to see such transformation happen on planet Earth? Why shouldn't we see him at work, even here and in our midst, even in Hudson or the Twin Cities, in the Messianic Jewish movement, in the church, or even in the secular world? Sometimes it might feel like the whole world is against you. That's because it is. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. John fifteen eighteen through 19 The whole world is against us. Even those who should be on our side are often the ones most vehemently opposed to us. A person could get bitter and cynical about that state of affairs. But we know better. We know that God can change the rock into a flowing stream of water which flows out of the temple, becoming a wide river. On the banks of the river grows the tree of life with leaves for the healing of the nations. We know that the Messiah can change the fearsome dragon, Leviathan, into the sukkah of Hashem's presence, which will be a shelter for all nations and all people. And we know that he transforms the uncountable host of Gog and Magog into the eager festival pilgrims who are saying, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. The Didache says that if you love your enemies, you will have no enemies. The whole world is against us for now. But that's only a temporary thing. Yeshua says, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. 
but in the future all humanity will be with him and gathering with him. The whole world is against us today, but in the future, in the messianic era, the nations will beat swords into plowshares and not learn war again. All nations will live peaceably under the reign and rule of King Messiah. We need to learn to see that future potential, learn to see that good that is is within everyone, even within our enemies, and learn to draw it forth. That's the work of Messiah. As disciples of Yeshua, it's not our job to divide the world into good guys and bad guys. It's our job to see the future when the bad guys have been transformed into the good guys, because that's exactly what Yeshua does for each of us on an individual level. The same Messiah who will crush the heads of Leviathan can also crush the heads of my evil inclination and transform me from wickedness to goodness, from selfishness to selflessness, from hatred to love, from darkness to light. That's our hope. That's our hero. And that's what he accomplishes for all of us, for Jews and Gentiles, until he has redeemed the whole world to keep the promise to Abraham that all nations will be blessed in his seed. This is why we call Sukkot the festival of all nations. Take on my yoke and learn from me. And find rest for your soul